I'm Laura Vinroot Poole. For 20 years, I've owned Capital, an internationally recognized specialty store. Capital has never really been about fashion. It's always been about people. What We Wore was created to share the meaningful journeys that inspire me. From the designers and friends I meet on the road to the men and women with whom I work each day. Everybody wants to know her Michelle Williams is the buying director of Capital and the founder of Birdie Golf Social Wear, a women's golf collection. I love reminiscing about our journey together as buyers, our shared love of the National Outdoor Leadership School and the launch of Birdie. Michelle, welcome. Laura. Thank you. <laughs> I'm so honored to be here and we have so much to discuss. We, we have a lot to discuss. <laughs> Will you tell the listeners where you're from? Yes, so I was born in Palm Beach, in Juneau Beach, Florida, and then at the age of seven or eight, moved to small town North Carolina, <laughs> Roaring Gap, which is in Allegheny County, so the Blue Ridge Mountains. I call home, but now I have no family in North Carolina, so my mom's in Kentucky, my dad's in Florida, so a bit of a, a nomad, if you will. <laughs> One of your best buying traits is that you love sweaters. Yeah. <laughs> and I always think the Florida girls love their sweaters. All my Florida cousins get obsessed like, for the one day a year that it's cool, you know. Which <laughs> is like 65. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Wearing down. <laughs> you have a sister. I do. And you, were y'all always close? We were always close. And I think uh, Natalie and I are 13 months apart. Oh, wow. So um, twins. I mean, basically mm -hmm. Irish twins. <laughs> And we, growing up, we did not have much in common. Honestly, Natalie was super reserved, always kind of doing her extracurriculars. Me, <laughs> I was, my, mine were going shopping <laughs> or, or, or playing sport. So growing up, I always kind of spoke for my sister. She was really, re really reserved. And um, I was kind of always the out of control older, older sister. <laughs> and she went to the North Carolina School of Science and Math. She did. So... And is in for, medical school now. Exactly. And I think once my parents got divorced, it was, and Natalie went to boarding school, it was truly just my mom and I at home. So for, for a few years, I did feel like I was an only child almost. Um, but Natalie and I are, I mean, inseparable now. And although she's in Miami, we see each other often. And I think the older we got, the more we realized we did have in common. Mm. And yeah, she's a best friend. Aww. I think a lot of people know that you have a very beautiful mother, but I think that what I would love to hear about, actually, is your grandmother, Lena. You wouldn't know it looking at me, but my grandmother had a lot of Cherokee in her. So she was really dark complected, had beautiful, thick black hair, but just the biggest personality, I think, between her and my grandfather. They could, I mean, own a room. And <laughs> so my grandmother, actually, when we moved to North Carolina, she um, was in Roaring Gap with us. So she was a second mom, and I. every time I was upset with my mom, I would run next door to my <laughs> Nana's house and, I mean, lock myself in there. And I would strain green beans with her every day. She was truly, I mean, I idolized the ground that she walked on and so fashionable. And, I mean, her closet it was this, it, at, back in the day, felt like a mile long for, for <laughs> little Rochelle. Um, and I would, I mean, roll around in her closet and 
try on truly everything. And she taught me how to flat foot. She taught me um, everything I knew about music. She loved Elvis Presley and Nat King Cole. And she was just kind of this bigger than life person. And she passed away when I was 12. But I mean, has left such a lasting impression on everything I do. And she was active. She she was a golfer. She was a golfer. She, I mean, I don't think there was a day that she did not golf. And then followed by golf, there was bridge club at the house. So <laughs> I, my nan and her friends, they were big drinkers also, which, <laughs> which so there was, I felt like there was always a party at my nana's house. And I would come over and I would just, I mean, sit Indian style and just watch them. And I tried to serve them drinks and I was eight years old. I know what I'm doing, but I just watching her and with her friends and they every day was was a big day for them and um I love that but every I day was it. a big day so <laughs> yeah. good life it, it, it sounded great and a lot of these women were either widowed or had been divorced but they I mean I was like this they're living the dream I want to do exactly what this is like forget having a husband <laughs> sounds great and do you do you remember what she wore in the golf course oh my gosh yes and actually a uh, short that we have in our collection is, is based off of it. But she would wear, she loved high-waisted wide leg, almost a paper bag, like the original paper oh. bag short. <laughs> Everything obviously had to have a collar on it when she was playing golf, but it was always popped. And then <laughs> it was, I mean, I don't even think she had a collar that could lay down. That it was is like hilarious. So stiffly popped. Um, <laughs> and she was always smoking Virginia Slims. I mean... <laughs> chain smoking so that I feel like was part of her wardrobe too and she would always wear these little ruffled socks and always have gold jewelry on like re- these really big statement pieces even on the golf course she used to play with I mean bangles in the 80s that were <laughs> insane but she was always dressed always had lipstick on and she would always get her hair brushed <laughs> get a, a brush out go get a go get a brush out yeah before the blowout <laughs> two to three times a week and I remember a lot of times because my mom was a single mother, she was kind of doing all she could to keep up with Natalie and I. So my Nana would come pick us up from school a lot. And I would be this, like just so thrilled that I was like, Nana's picking me up today. <laughs> um, and she'd roll up in her Lexus. I was like, this is me. I've got to go. But look how cool my Nana is. <laughs> she was probably drinking and driving at the time. <laughs> And then would she change for bridge? Was there a different set of... Oh, yes. Yeah. Bridge was when you would pull out like the fur cuffed robes and stuff. <laughs> I was just like, what are you, what are you doing? Oh um, yeah, so all the ladies would come over and I mean, they would stay out, I mean, till 10 at night and, oh, yeah. and Nana would put me to bed and I could hear them upstairs and I would always, they had this beautiful back deck and I remember I would always sneak out of the room and go up to the back deck just to watch them because I was so infatuated by everything <laughs> that were, they were doing and it was, it was kind of this weird, almost great Gatsby way about life um, with this group of like 15 women. Huh. It was incredible. We can't talk about glamour without talking about your mom. she is so lovely and so beautiful and really so glamorous do you do you remember what her signature look was when you were growing up yes (laughs) and I get so upset with my mom because my mom was saved nothing she was always getting rid of stuff that she didn't use which some people I I mean I envy because I hold on to everything and I think it's probably because of that but my mom so we just like uh, 
a lot of other families, especially in the mountains where you have nowhere to go shopping. You get very resourceful. But I remember mom always ordered clothes from the Sundance catalog. (laughs) So my mom always kind of looked like a Ralph Lauren model growing up. But my mom had this. And it reminds me of a piece that Air Dim did probably two seasons ago. And it was this high-waisted, oversized, almost prairie-esque cotton patchwork skirt. And again, mom always wore everything with kind of a a crisp white or denim button-down collar popped. And then my mom... (laughs) Lena style. Lena style, (laughs) which I do all the time. I always pop my collars. I do too. Except I was at the age of like the 2000s where you wore three collars and popped (laughs) on. But... And my mom always wore big jewelry too, so she always had kind of a, a bolo or big oversized huh. statement jewelry. And my mom also has that big, thick, gorgeous hair. Yeah. And so I feel like that was always a statement too. And mom wore cowboy boots all the time, so I feel like she wore cowboy boots before they got cool again. And <laughs> But she has kind of a similar style that I do now, oddly enough. I mean, uh, her style has evolved and changed and kind of regressed since she moved to Kentucky. <laughs> Everything she wore was just, it seemed so effortless to her, which I really appreciate because I do think I love getting dressed up, but I love kind of the effortless ease that um, my mom always had to getting dressed every day. I also love the contrast of you being in the mountains and then being in Palm Beach and the difference. (laughs) I'll never forget, even at a young age too, I remember thinking my life is over from from going to Palm Beach to the mountains. I was like, I'm not going to like anyone here. I'm going to it's it's I'm never going to have the the resources and the friends like I did in Florida. And and it wasn't until later in life that I really did start to appreciate. I think it made, made me really savvy and it it helped me with my creative side because I think again I did have to be resourceful and I had to beg my mom every day to to go to (laughs) (laughs) Winston-Salem to go shopping (laughs) and then when I went to school in Greensboro and I always give Greensboro stick too but I think the vintage shopping there is incredible it's so good and me and my girlfriends every weekend we would find this new vintage store and I think again it's not a shopping destination by any means, but you had to be really resourceful and you had to be super creative if you wanted to get dressed and looked somewhat interesting. I feel like everything I learned about clothes was from thrifting. It really is. (laughs) And and I kind of have a love-hate relationship with it. And it... Maria Cornejo was talking about how she hated the smell and I was kind of always the same. I was like, do I really want to be doing this? But I was like, I don't have a choice. This is what I I have to do this because it's either that or going to anthropology right <laughs> I guess those are our options back to your mom I think that one of the most stylish qualities about her I guess is stylish is is her strength um, and it's so clear when you meet her you can feel it how do you think she found that strength I think she found it in really difficult places honestly with my parents going through a divorce for me it was such a young age but I think my mom had a really lovely upbringing and she had a lot of support from my mom's one of eight and had a lot of support from her parents. And, and I think my mom always relied on other people to take care of her at a young age. And I think when they got divorced, my mom moving to a small town, she really had to fend for herself. I mean, she definitely still 
leaned into the relationships that she had with friends and family and, and found support there as well. But I think she had to really hustle and, and had to take care of two girls who kind of, we wanted to do anything and everything. So mom opened an art gallery to, to try to make money that way. She did real estate. So she got really gritty and, and she did whatever it took to take care of Natalie and I and really provide for us. I have a great relationship with my dad as well, but spending the majority of my time with my mom, I just saw that you really have to take care of yourself and, and always grow and learn and, and never rely on, on someone for finances or, or your soul happiness. I Mm -hmm. think that was a really big learning curve for me at, at a young age. She also strikes me as your number one cheerleader, I think, and your your biggest supporter. Um, and I love that she has raised these two young women to to do these very diverse, different careers, but really dynamic careers. What do you think she thought you would be when you were a child? <laughs> My mom will tell you this a hundred times over. My mom <laughs> thought I was going to be a lawyer for the longest time because I could talk myself into any situation and I could talk myself out of any situation and I would do it relentlessly. I mean, till I was blue in the face, till I would, I mean, people had left the room and I was still <laughs> kind of argue with them. <laughs> but I think I was also very decisive. My dad, on the other hand, was so precise with what Natalie and I were doing. He from a young age, I remember him telling Natalie she was going to be a doctor. And <laughs> Natalie was super disciplined and she, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and dad wanted me to be a journalist for the Golf Channel, which is ironic now. <laughs> and I I went down that path for university. And, and I, you had a radio show <laughs> in Greensboro. I worked. My <laughs> first one, though, was a trailer <laughs> that was parked in the middle of a massive field in the mountains. It was an internship that I did in high school and it was a Christian radio station called WCOK AM. Don't worry, it was an AM, not an FM radio station. (laughs) That reminds me of Friday Night Lights. Okay. (laughs) And I had to read the obituary. So the second I got out of school, I went straight to the trailer (laughs) and I'd put my headphones on and I would read the obituaries for the town. (laughs) And the amount of times I got callers calling in being like, um, Rochelle, you mispronounced the whole entire name. And I would just be bawling by the end of it. I was like, why, why am I doing this? <laughs> that is hilarious. Um, but then in, in college, I was the promotions director at WAG in Greensboro, which was a blast. And it was, I think I loved it so much because in Greensboro, I had a really hard time finding my people. So I was in a sorority, but also I was hanging out with like these really cool hipsters, which I was not at the time, (laughs) actually ever. It was just a blast. I was booking gigs at all these different small venues in Greensboro, but also had a little talk show, which I'm sure no one listened to. (laughs) I bet they did. Um, But just played Leonard Cohen on repeat. That was like the only record. (laughs) I was like, this is going to be my show for the day. (laughs) God, I love it. And, and while you were in college, and one of the reasons that I think we hired you, or definitely one of the reasons that you and I connected, was that you dropped out of school, as I did, and did a null semester. Will you talk about that? Yeah, I think it kind of goes back to finding my people and, and really finding my place in the world. I, I didn't know what I wanted to do freshman, sophomore year of college, and I came home I guess after my first semester of sophomore year and 
I was like, mom, I can't do this anymore. I, I am so lost. I, and I've always loved the outdoors. My mom knows that I think she was, and actually I think she found the program for, for me. I didn't wow. even think I knew what Knowles was. And my mom did some research and presented it to me. And of course me with my kind of over the top, like I'm going to do it all. Um, I was like, I'm going to Patagonia. And mom was like, hell no, you will die. I had the same thing. I did the same thing. And my mom said, absolutely not pick something in the United States. And so I finally like bamboozled her to send me to New Zealand, which still honestly was kind of too intense for me. Like I was, I've I've hiked that Appalachian Trail. I can do it all. It's, It's basically flat. And, and my friends and family probably rolled their eyes at me, but it was truly the, the turning point of everything for me. And, and you can speak to that as well. And it, and I feel like I really did luck out because the group that we were with, I believe there was 10 of us on it. I mean, still, I saw one of my friends in Dallas last weekend that I was with on the trip and they were just my, I mean, I could not have loved a group of people more. And, and just the things I learned about myself on that trip and such as, Oh my gosh, just, I think, I uh, earlier in life was really easy to kind of give up and just be like, I'm just going to call it quits and kind of move on to something else. But truly seeing that thing out to the end, like there were, I got um, Achilles tendonitis on the trip and had to get airlifted out to do physio for like two weeks during the trip. And, and mom was like, come home. This is, this is ridiculous. Like you're in a hospital basically in New Zealand. Like, why are you doing this? And so I think it was, I am just, it kind of proved to myself that I was not a quitter. And, and if someone told me I couldn't do something, I was more determined, more determined to do it. Well, also there was, I I feel like in order to get to the, to the hospital from that, didn't you have to get there on your own and you had no money and you had to, I mean, it was like a crazy, that that actually, (laughs) yeah, that's probably the the biggest (laughs) learning experience I've ever had in my entire life. I, in, in Knowles, that's kind of what they teach you. It's like you have to be resourceful, figure it out. And if and if you don't wake up on time for the day, you're left. Yeah. You're, you could be a mile behind the group, and you have to know the topography. You have to know how to read a map. You had to know how to read a compass. Like It was every man for himself out there, which I loved. I kind of thrived in that uh, towards the end. It's sort of like fashion market. It is. It really <laughs> is. So it's just like it's like playing with the big dogs or kind of running with the wolves, which I really love. <laughs> But yeah, so we, as I was getting helicoptered out, we were, I mean, we were in South Island, New Zealand, but I had to get back to Christchurch, which is kind of, I mean, the top, and we were very much towards the very, very south of New Zealand, and they were just like, get back to home base. <laughs> I had a an American Express that they, like, back then, they didn't take, uh-huh. and I had, I think, a traveler's check that I was like, I don't even know how to use, what do you guys even do with this? And keep in mind, I hadn't showered in probably, at this point, two months, yeah. so, I mean, ratty, I looked homeless, and knowing me, too, I'm like, so, so, <laughs> trust, I trust everyone too easily. Yes, yeah, so I kind of weaseled up. my way back to Christchurch. But it is a completely life-changing experience. I mean, for me, it really was. I'll, I don't think I'll ever do anything like it. And it's, I, I tell everyone, and I mean, 
if I ever have kids one day, they are for sure non-negotiable doing an all <laughs> semester somewhere. Well, and I think also as, as with our business, we've gotten so into leadership training. And I think to think back that it is the National Outdoor Leadership School and mm-hmm. it really is that, you know, and it was it was created to to train leaders of Outward Bound. It was to train instructors. That's why it started. Um, yeah. And you can see, I, you know, you don't know it when you're in it, but I think looking back on it, reflecting on it, it really was the start of my leadership journey for sure. And I think, and I'll never forget when I left, a bunch of my friends were just like, isn't that for kids who kind of are like, like yeah. going through rehab <laughs> exactly. or something? And and I had no idea to expect. And I was like, well, maybe, but we'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you know. <laughs> but it was truly, I again, my group at least was, they we all came out there for the same reason like we we didn't really know what we wanted to do and I think everyone that I've kept up with in that trip they're all so wildly successful and not financially but they are just so focused. secure with who they are yeah. and just so focused and just like just a, it just really curates a group of just really interesting people well and I think uh, it fosters real independence yeah like absolutely true. like you're fine on your own anywhere you could drop you anywhere and you would figure it out yeah exactly. which is which is the bit it, that is the skill isn't it exactly <laughs> one of the things that was really clear on Knowles was that you were with people sleeping with them essentially for three months and not showering and all that stuff and there's this point, maybe it's four weeks in that you hate everybody. And then after that, you love everybody for the things you hate about them. Yep. Right. Exactly. <laughs> They're endearing. And I think I, I find that in our business too, like you, you know, all of the quirks and all of the things, those are the things you end up really loving about everybody that you work with. Yeah. I, for me. No, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> well, speaking of working, um, I think we were so lucky to have you as a salesperson first. And I think that I don't know that you even knew you wanted to be a buyer, but I think being on the sales floor was so helpful, um, has made you such a great buyer because you understood the client, but also you understood the lifestyle, but also the, the, the constrictions, I guess, or the things that would impede somebody from buying something or made people love something. I mean, I think it's, it was more the psychology of it than anything. Mm-hmm. Like how far into it did you decide you wanted to be a buyer? Well, when I first walked through the doors of Capitol, even when I was in college, I could just, and, and so many people say this too, because it's, it deserves all this credit is I had never been into a place like that in my entire life. And, and before I graduated and, and thought I was going to go do something with journalism, Capitol kept on coming to the back of my mind because I, I knew I wanted to move to Charlotte afterwards. And I'll never forget, I think it was... September after I graduated, I walked in and handed my resume to Nicole. And I was just like, you know, I have no idea. Like, this is probably never going to work out in a million years. But just had such an appreciation for the people there and for the clothes and just the whole everything that it represented. Nicole was like, yeah, we're not hiring, but we'll keep you posted. And it was probably a year or so later. And I got a call from Nicole. And I think... Oh, I didn't realize that. Yes. And she was like, I... I must have made some sort of lasting impression, but they interviewed me and the sales position was available. And I was like, absolutely, I will do whatever it takes to get in. And I, um, we made the connection through Roaring Gap actually, because (laughs) I I worked like the day camp there. Nicole was like, we go to Roaring Gap every summer. (laughs) But I think the biggest thing truly from the beginning was just meeting the women of Charlotte. I, 
that was what I fell in love with. And, and I really didn't have much sales experience previously, but it was just being able to talk to people. Kind of what we talk about all the time is I'm sure my fashion sense has, has evolved quite a lot since I first started, but it was really getting to know the people. I was really good at talking to people and I probably wasn't really good at selling clothes, to be honest. <laughs> but I do think I, I had an understanding from what someone wanted just by hearing their story or, or what they were planning their event for. And, and I think that's what we have um, or why we have such a talented team too is because they're such listeners and, and really get what the client wants. And I think well, so, so much more of a collaboration than I think in most retail stores. You know, I think most stores are like, this is what you need. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is all the rage. <laughs> Whereas I think we're kind of like, all right, tell me, like, where are you going? How do you want to feel? What's, set, set this up for me so I can help you to have best possible scenario. For, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and when the buying position opened, no one asked me, Michelle, do you want to be a buyer? And, and I was like, I'm going to be the next buyer for Pool Shop. Do you remember our first meeting about that? When you- <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I'll ever forget that first meeting. <laughs> but you should, you should tell that story. I don't, well, I don't know that I remember it. You probably remember it better, but I just know that, I mean, I, I was crazy for you and I, um, and I thought you were lovely and lovely to be around and talented and all of that. But I said, you know, <laughs> no offense, but I don't, I don't even, I don't know if you're smart. You seem bright, but buying is a really different set of skills. I've seen you sell. I've seen you, um, you're socially adept. You're, you know, you're, you're intuitive, all of these things, all the things that are really important for buying, but the, the most important is math, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or as the English say, maths. Maths. Exactly. <laughs> that's, that's my mom always jokes too, because I, in college would get in so much trouble because I'd get my monthly stipend from from my mom and the second later it'd be gone because I had gone shopping with it so mom's like are you sure that Laura wants to leave all this money in your hands but but I I mean again kudos to my mom because she taught me how to balance a checkbook I think when I was eight or something yeah so I it's truly it goes back to kind of the fundamentals of really being able to like always continue to learn and just kind of being smart with my money is, is always something that mom instilled with in me um, from a young age. But yeah, I think I, I had no idea what I was doing, but the second we had that conversation, it sparked a different energy in me. Mm-hmm. And, and it, again, it's if I just had this drive to, to prove everyone wrong, and it's probably <laughs> a personality defect. But, <laughs> but yeah, and I think you definitely took a huge gamble with me and you've taught me so much along the way but it's been I mean every day it's it's kind of figuring it out as we go and did you realize how much time you'd be spending on excel I mean I think that's the other thing I did tell you is like just so you know 80 percent of your time will be on excel and we talk about this all the time too is there was a wave that everyone wanted to be a buyer now it's everyone wants to be in marketing but (laughs) we tell so many people buying is incredible and you get to see the really glamorous part of it when we're kind of behind the scenes at a at a show or something but you the day-to-day is really you're doing return return to vendors, you're doing RAs, you're doing Excel. You're, so it's a lot of kind of the gritty back-end work that people don't realize that we do. And there's just so many steps that goes into it. And it's, it's a huge responsibility, but I think people kind of 
shrug it off as like, oh, you're a buyer. But it's, I mean. Well, I think that people also, yes, the math thing, the math thing is huge. But I also think that people underestimate the communication skills, socially adept. Um, it's, it's being able to, with those RAs, with those negotiations, being able to have relationships with, I mean, with people. But, I mean, you think about we have, do we have 200 designers we work with probably, mm-hmm. maybe more? Mm-hmm. And it's having relationships with every one of those people. And, uh, you know, it's like this, it's a really, really um, vast set of skills that a great buyer has to have. Yeah, and it's I think... It's rare to have them all. Understanding that all these relationships are so wildly different too. So True. being able to have these very different conversations with someone every hour on the hour, especially yeah. with market being virtual this year, I think we've learned so much about how we work with different vendors and and our relationships relationships with all of them. And you realize how well you work with one brand and how not so well you work with another. <laughs> um, so I think it's been really interesting for relationships this year. And I think we probably don't realize it at the time, but it's probably been incredible for business because we've gotten so close with the brands that yeah. that support us and we support them. And And you have to really trust each other. Trust is especially now more than ever. I, I think we were so lucky to have been in business almost 25 years coming into this just because we did have such history with so many people and you, you have to lean into to that trust. I mean, and I look at the store you bought, I told your mom this um, when she was visiting, I mean, you bought the entire store virtually and it's so beautiful. And the fact that you were able to do that and to understand fabric weights and, I mean, all, all the things in one, but doing it virtually is really magic. I mean, it, but not many people could do that. Also traumatizing. I'll never forget <laughs> when the very yeah. first order came in, I was like, I hope Laura doesn't come in today. So, <laughs> so, we, so we can look and see how this actually is going to go. Because I might not have a job. Was it? <laughs> yeah. But that, I mean, that is goes back to the ultimate trust with the people you work with so we've been so fortunate too because we do work with so many incredible people but it's because I think you've established these relationships with like it's almost like this no bs like shoot it to me straight and and I think that set us up for success during this past year I I agree with that I have to say thank you and I, I would agree because I think that when I do look back on my career I think that that is that is something that I can say consistently I did was I was real and I was, you know, it was not a sort of, like, yeah, that'd be amazing. Exactly. It was like, you know, it was like, uh, this is what will work for us, you know, and, and we really were, um, we had boundaries, I think, always. Mm-hmm. And uh, I do think that's rare in the industry, too. And I think that nobody really, you know, almost like nobody really messed with us because they Exactly. Knew. And I think that brands so easily know that they can kind of really walk all over these specialty stores because it's almost like they think that and we are so grateful to carry these brands but they think that they always have the upper hand and I think you've really changed that narrative for capital and pool shop and and they are lucky to be in business with us and and it goes both ways and I think we have always been hyper focused on what we want and we've been really diligent about explaining that to our partners as well. 
Well, I think and diligent about telling them who we are and who our client is and what's relevant to her. And I think that for me during the pandemic and the recession <laughs> were the things that were that, that that was the word I think that was that that kept on coming up was relevance. Mm-hmm. You know, everything had to be relevant for us, for our clients, for you know, for how we were gonna pay for it. I mean, everything had to be relevant for the the reality of the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and fashion is such a smoke and mirrors sort of business that it's sort of like, yeah, you know, like, <laughs> It's fabulous, you know, <laughs> and you sort of, but I, I anyway, I, I think that we, I do have to say, I feel like we were really well set up because we were, you know, and I think that about the South, just in general, I think we're very sure about who we are and mm-hmm. where we come from and what that means. And we, we don't waver on that. And I think that that, that is unusual. And I think for, for me, I guess, you know, m- most of our buying is done in Europe and we spent so much time telling that story to them. I mean, telling them who, you know, let me tell you about where I'm from and Mm -hmm. these are what the women are like and this is what they do and this is what our events are like. And I mean, I'll never forget talking to Albert Albaz actually uh, and he had done this gorgeous collection of gowns, but they were gowns that hit right above the ankle. Mm -hmm. There was sort of this 1960s um, almost like paper bag waist and then went down. I can't, I don't remember what you call it, but like super narrow at the ankle, but, but stop above the ankle. And, uh, I loved all of them. I mean, they were fabulous, but I didn't wa- buy one gown and we had a big long van gown business. He said, you know, I, I, you know, something like how, how many are you going to buy? And I said, I, I really can't buy any of them. You know, not that I don't love them, not that they're not spectacular, but where I live, you know, in the South for art, for these events, you can't wear a gown that doesn't hit the floor. And Mm -hmm. so we could buy them for really short clients, you know, that maybe they would hit the floor. But generally, um, the way he wanted them to be seen was just not relevant to the way our our events were you right know? and it was a potentially like a thirty thousand dollar forty thousand dollar investment and I just said I you know can't do it and I think that's kind of been the beauty with our business model too is and why a lot of specialty stores kind of can't say the same is because we've never really followed the trends it's truly sticking to our guns and being like again like we are in Charlotte and we know the women in Charlotte that they're not going to wear it. They can't wear the gowns at ankle length. And I think that again, set us up for success for the past year, but kind of always is, is although we have these beautiful collections, it's still really relevant and practical and just bought in such a different light than it would be if it was presented in New York or LA. It's Mm. just this, realistic practicality I think is what we're calling it I mean it is and I I think I want people I want things to be dynamic and spectacular but I also the best compliment that I ever get is when clients say oh my god I have that thing I bought from you 22 years ago I still wear it or it's still in my wardrobe Mm -hmm. I mean that that's the best compliment I agree. I think. And and really, you know, talk about, we, we talk so much about sustainability. I mean, that that's sustainability. That's the, <laughs> I mean, the ultimate. <laughs> We've traveled together a lot in, in Europe mostly, but also in New York. We have had a lot of funny things happen. Do you have any, <laughs> any favorite memories? Oh my God. I feel like half of them I can't say. <laughs> oh my gosh, there's so many. I just had a memory that came back when... We basically got clotheslined by the metro. About <laughs> lost my hair. I was scalped almost. <laughs> we were catching a train at freaking rush hour, and Laura can navigate. She's like a little, like, 
street route, you know, like the ins and outs, you know, like there's no direction needed. Meanwhile, I'm like glued to my phone being like, okay, Ruta, what? <laughs> and um, we were like trucking it through and on the Metro, I made it in truly by the skin of my teeth. Like half of my clothes are hanging out of the Metro and in Paris, some of the metros have the double door. So you've got to not only get through the doors that close, but also doors that block it before. Right. And I mean, buying isn't always glamorous. And I, no. but I, I would not change the way we do it for the world. Really, like hoofing it is so important to us. I think yeah. it's also you kind of, you feel Parisian being on the metro, sitting by yourself, you're like, this is how we should be doing this and yeah. not sitting in an Uber, yep. just the two of us. We truly are On emerged. <laughs> yeah, exactly. With the culture, with the people. And, and I think this helps with the way we buy it. It's like, it's truly seeing the world, truly being immersed in every situation. We do the same in New York, which, which I really appreciate because I don't think a lot of people do that still. I agree. And I think it does, it, it weirdly keeps you really grounded mm-hmm. and keeps you, I, I guess, connected to the whole process rather than... It makes you feel at home. I love mm. the evenings where we're walking from a McQueen appointment back to the flat. And I just think it, it really, it's just such a better experience than being in a car or just kind <laughs> of separating yourself from the whole experience. Culture, yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, it's been such a pleasure for me to watch you start Birdie over the last year. I've, I've never been more proud. And I want to hear, will, will you talk to me about what the impetus was and when you started to think about it? Yeah, I think it was probably three or four years ago. My dad is an amateur golfer but plays on the senior tour. And um, my sister and I will every now and then um, show up to a tournament. <laughs> And you're, um, and you're golfers, both of you. You I mean your whole family? My sister isn't. My, my sister is a noodle. She looks like Taylor <laughs> Swift on a stage. <laughs> but I grew up playing golf. I played on my high school golf team. And Natalie had the brains. I was a bit more athletic than Natalie was. <laughs> but I have always been around the sport. Again, my grandparents always played. And I always tell people if I wanted to spend any time with either of my parents, it had to be on the golf course. (laughs) So I had to learn how to play golf, but we were at a golf tournament with my dad and I was just watching and kind of spectating on, I wasn't spectating this before I was watching what everyone else was wearing, (laughs) um, observing. And my sister and I were just like, what in the world? Like it's either these Lululemon tennis skirts or these girls are wearing these like cotton mini dresses with wedges. It was, there was (laughs) no in between. It was just so bizarre. And we were both like, this is a reoccurring thing. This happens every single time. Like my stepmom is always in leggings and a, and a, a zip up hoodie, which is just not golf regulation at any, any yeah. c- club. Right. And also you think about, I mean, I think also just emotionally, you think looking out at that field of people, I think you think, gosh, how terrible that must feel every morning for these people when they're coming here to not have any idea what to wear. Exactly. And it's, I, it's really awful. And I felt <laughs> the same way, honestly, yeah. I, I was with them. Because even for me, I, I mean, I definitely had something cute to wear, but (laughs) um, I was wearing like a cotton maxi dress and I was just like, I'm on a golf course. This still doesn't feel right. I'm sweating through it. This, I feel ridiculous. And then also while playing on the course, I felt the same way. Everything is super boxy. The silhouettes are just terrible. The fit, the prints, everything (laughs) about it. I was just like, this is a huge gap in the market. And obviously for the past year we haven't traveled. So 
when I had downtime, I was taking a few webinars through the Carolina textile industry. And, and something that I do a lot at Capital that we really tag team is working on exclusive with, exclusives with brands. And I think that really, I've al- always had a passion with that as well. So I was kind of curious from both aspects, like how, if we ever were to do some sort of private label, how, how would we go about it? So I think that's kind of how it, it came about. And then I learned so much. I mean, I'm still learning so much, but over the past year, just how to source fabrics and, and things of that nature. And so it, it's, it's all kind of happened so quickly and it's been incredible, but I do think there's this massive market of women. And I kind of talk about this a lot too, is men talk about how much they golf. <laughs> That's like a constant <laughs> conversation. Um, but women never do. And there's actually so many lady female golfers and um, it's the highest, um, like the rate of female golfers is the highest it's ever been. Hmm. Um, so I think there is such a need and I think people really want to get dressed for every occasion. And I think that's something that we are, are so keen and really champions about is, is making sure that women feel comfortable in, in every aspect of their life. And I think golf is included in that. And so what were the first, the first few steps you took to get started other than your webinar? Um, <laughs> it was really touching base with a lot of friends in the industry. Catherine Haynes has actually been mm. is a dear friend of ours and um, she's been super incredible. So I think although the industry is so cutthroat and people don't like sharing information, I think <laughs> it's been really special to see the people who have helped me and, and willing to Linda Hand and, and Sarah and Jonathan Cohen have been so helpful. Just I think people reach out and are just so supportive and but, but I think that's because they help. had long relationships with you also, you know, yeah. and, and you, they knew you were a woman of your word. And, you know, I mean, I think that that that, that goes a long way. It's been great because we've had a lot of support so, so far. And um, I mean, still learning so much every single day. And <laughs> that's kind of the beauty of it. It's been so fun. And the collection is super small right now. We have eight pieces or eight silhouettes total. And I think kind of back to that conversation about sustainability, it was truly not biting off more than I could chew. And and just kind of easing into it and making it super organic and grassroots. And I think that it's been really helpful to do it that way. To It's really controllable. And it's just been incredible. And everything's made in the States, which I was super keen about doing that. And, yeah, so it's been great. Well, and one of the things I think you had a little bit of a head start, and I, I told you this earlier, is I think your, your, your social media was incredible and the clothes looked beautiful and we saw the clothes before we saw them in person. And I was I was shocked but not shocked, but I was so impressed with the production, the quality in the production. I mean, everything was finished beautifully. The fabrics were incredible it was clear that you had it had it covered from beginning to end where I think most people, you know, let's do something that looks amazing. <laughs> but I think you, it was obviously, and I think obviously that comes from your experience of buying and, and also buying virtually. <laughs> well, thank you. For, that was the longest process. Cause yeah. I, it, but also the hardest too, because again, there's premier vision and a, a few other trade shows for fabric that wasn't happening. So typically when people start out, I think that's kind of where they go. And so my house is full of just swatches that I said (laughs) no to time after time. I was like, this still isn't right. This still isn't right. This still isn't right. Um, So that process was super interesting. And and just learning what what is a luxury moisture wicking fabric? Is that even a thing? And and can we create it? And, And what else can women get away with 
wearing fabric wise other than a performance fabric. Mm -hmm. I do think a lot of performance golf driven clothes are being made for people on the LPGA tour. It's not being made for your leisurely golfer. And, and, and I think Birdie really attacks that leisurely golfer market because a lot of the women are interested in the sport and want to be introduced to the sport, but it's so intimidating in, in multiple facets. So how can we do that to where it, it, it is more casual, but still sophisticated and very feminine and, and not sexy, sexy, but, but not, not, not revealing, <laughs> not revealing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so I think that was a big part of it too. Everything that is offered for younger golfers is just wildly inappropriate. So yeah. how do you marry all those things and come up with something really beautiful? Well, you did. Well, thank you. <laughs> I also love that Birdie comes full circle back to Lena Cole, your grandmother. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- did the design process start with images of her or, I mean, is that really where it started? Yeah. So again, this past year, my, thank goodness, the only thing my mom does not get rid of is photos. Um, <laughs> so, and every time, I'm such a nostalgic person. Every time I go home, I'm like in tears because I've looked at the same photos over and over again. And I force everyone to watch DVDs or now <laughs> turn into DVDs of family videos. But for the past year, I'd really just accumulated a ton of pictures of my grandparents and they traveled a lot to go play golf all over the world. And so just really drawing inspiration from those photos um, was was huge for me. So almost every silhouette is based off something that I saw in those photos. Rochelle, what do you think Lena would think about the collection? What do you think she'd say about it? Oh, my gosh. She <laughs> would give it a whopping hell yeah. Uh, <laughs> 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 and she'd be cheersing me in heaven probably with her Some Chanel uh, red lipstick and a Virginia Slim. Six, yeah. <laughs> I don't think we've ever interviewed somebody right in the beginning of their entrepreneurial journey. What do you, what's been the hardest part? I think patience is, <laughs> is truly a virtue. And I think this might be the millennial part of me is, is I think everything has to happen so quickly and it needs to be right the first time. And I think it's been a huge learning curve and, and giving myself grace and the fact that it's not, I'm not going to get it right the first time or the second time and maybe not the third, but always learning and really truly believing in myself. Cause I think it is a Southern thing to really downplay everything that you do and, and to be humble and kind and, and which I want to make sure I'm doing all those things. But I do think I, I'm really hard on myself and I, and I'm not patient and I get so flustered when I don't get it right. So I think just truly giving myself grace in that process has been been a, a, a huge opportunity for me. What's been the most exciting part? Mm. I think I can answer it. Yeah, answer I think it. it's your it was your your launch and you you sold out in a day. Yeah, it's <laughs> pretty amazing. After, after some technical difficulties, yeah, after some technic- <laughs> technical air quotes difficulties. Yeah, I think. Just the support that I've had around the whole process from from you to people I, I don't know. And, and and that's the beauty about kind of traveling around with the collection. And when I was in Dallas last weekend, just people on the streets that came up to me and she was like, are you the birdie girl? And you're just like, <laughs> <laughs> birdie girl. <Yeah. laughs> so it just, I mean, the power of Instagram is insane, but I just yeah. think 
the support has been incredible. And, and I think people are even baffled because they're like, how did you tell Laura that you were going to do this? And I was like, well, <laughs> you just told me, I just, I just told her, <laughs> I mean, I, you know so much about me anyways. And I, I probably have already talked about this in market at some point. Yeah, you have actually. So you I have think for it a long was, time. yeah. And I think it's, I think people are always so shocked because they're like, well, you can't do both or you need to, it's just, it's just interesting how some people are, I don't know. It's, 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 everyone's been super supportive, but it's, I think they're just like, how are you doing all the things? And well, two things I'll say. One is, um, Perry would always, Perry had to do presentations in his career before being an architect. And he would, he always says when, before you have a speaking engagement or something and you're nervous, Fifi and I are nervous about public speaking. And he says, you know, um, the audience really wants you to be good. They want you to be successful. Remember that. Like, they're not actually waiting for you to fall. They're waiting for you to be great because they don't want to be bored and they, they want a great presentation. Yeah. And that helps, I think. But then the other thing I will say is that, and I've had many, I mean, several people ask me, you know, about opening stores or starting um, new businesses. And, and I always say, you know, be really careful who you share it with because uh, you're not going to, no matter what, even your your mom, your boyfriend, your best friend, it's rare to get real support because mm-hmm. I think people are afraid that you're going to fail and so they want to protect you. And so it's not, I mean, that, that was the one thing I really noticed about starting our business here was, um, th- I mean, I love my parents, but they were, you know, kind of like, that doesn't sound like a great idea, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and so you ha- it has to be singular almost. I mean, definitely all the support you can get from the other people in the business, I guess, and things like that. But um, but you have to really be clear that that it is something you want to do and that you're willing to do alone, mm-hmm. if need be, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah. no, I, I definitely agree. And I think my parents are they're both so supportive, but they're very cautious yeah. with what they do. And, yeah. and I think I could feel that from a lot of close people in my life that it's a great idea, but should you be doing it? I don't know. It's a passion project and I would have kicked myself if I wouldn't have done it. And what's the worst if, if, if it doesn't work out. And, and so I think trying and really going for it and always continuing to learn. Mm-hmm. I think that's been so important too, is really, we know so much about the wholesale side of the business, but I really wanted to learn, like there's such a massive process that is happening before it even gets to us and and just learning about that outside of birdie has been incredible too and i think it Mm. it comes full circle and kind of helps in all avenues of things that we're doing both at capital and at birdie so it's been just super interesting to see that side of the business as well i mean i bet it's made you a better buyer for sure well, I mean, it's just... You have, you have different quality control <laughs> yeah. questions. Yeah, now I'm just going to be super annoying and send everything back. <laughs> <laughs> what's, your, what's your biggest wish for Birdie? For me, honestly, it's really eventually getting to a place where I can support young women who are wanting to play the sport for the first time. I think it's making golf more inclusive and not just a white male-dominated sport. I think that's super important for me is really supporting young women from the get-go and getting them involved and and having some sort of nine and dine where it's followed by a, a dinner and how do you apply the kind of the the rule book of golf where it's 
it, it is a bit formal, but also I think it, it really helps with a lot of life skills. And I think mm. applying that to other aspects of a woman's life is really important as well. So that's kind of my hope for Birdie in the future. And I think I still, I'm really focused on it really being curated here in the States and, and continuing to keep things local. And eventually my dream is to open um, our own factory in Sparta. That's like oh, my wow. long-term goal is to support the women there because actually there's so much craftsmanship in the yeah. mountains and yeah. and so many women who are super talented that can sew, that are artists and, and long-term goals. I would love to be able to open something there to support that town because it is a super low income town and, but there's so much talent there and the people, they're just such good people. And, and I think I would love to be able to give back to them eventually. What did you wear to the prom in Sparta? <laughs> I, I, I feel like I might be the youngest person you've had on the podcast. So this kind of hits way too close to home because it's not that long ago. So this is truly embarrassing. <laughs> so I went to two proms. So my junior, obviously, obviously. <laughs> my junior prom, and I not even kidding I think this might have been the first thing I ordered online ever really? oh really Pro- hopefully not from Sundance <laughs> <laughs> yeah. honestly I wish it was <laughs> but I think it was some teeny bopper website I couldn't even tell you what it was but it was such a millennial kind of before and after thing where I feel like tiktokers probably do this all the time now where they order something online and it's like Instagram versus reality it was that with my prom dress it was like the cheapest <laughs> weird satin fabric you could imagine leopard print what yes leopard I don't even think I own anything leopard now which is hysterical but like goldie goldie oh, brownie leopard? yeah goldie okay. brownie leopard okay and it came <laughs> I feel like maybe JLo was like the inspo behind my <laughs> prom dress but it came to like a deep v like it's probably the most scandalous thing I've ever worn and it was also kind of deep v but bedazzled in the front it was a gown and then <laughs> my Senior year, we all decided because my girlfriend for her senior exit project was like, I'm going to make my own prom dress. And she wanted oh, to make wow. it short. Okay. So we were like, okay, we're going to stand behind you. We're all going short. Um, <laughs> so we went to Cache. <laughs> Salem at Haynes Mall Um, and my mom had a girl at cachet obviously (laughs) (laughs) and she was like this big fiery redhead ginger had the the, like wacky style and um she found me this white one shoulder bubble dress Ooh, that sounds (laughs) cute actually Uh, it It wasn't it wasn't (laughs) (laughs) and it had like straps on the back it was terrible and I wore these stiletto gold (laughs) Michael Kors (laughs) zip-up shoes and terrible costume jewelry and also the prom hair was out of control like ringlet curls (laughs) I I had like two tendrils two tendrils (laughs) right here and the rest was just like three cans of hairspray I mean it wasn't going anywhere but oh I love that Did you have a favorite? <laughs> exactly, no. Um, Do they still own them or are they in the trash? I think those are in the trash. Again, my mom throws everything away. Everything away. My <laughs> senior year project was to make my senior um, solo dance costume, which I was very proud of. Uh, and my dance teacher said that a year later, she was at Allegheny Cares, which is like a Goodwill of Allegheny County. Uh-huh. And she saw it there. <laughs> and she bought it back. <laughs> and she... I mean, <laughs> squealed tires to my mom's house and brought it back to her. No way. 
She probably what, bought it for a dollar. What did it look like? <laughs> it was, so it was a point routine to Popular by Wicked. <laughs> <laughs> and it had like a massive, I mean, point skirt. <laughs> and the, it was a proper leotard, but we had added like this pink ribbon down the back. It was actually really so beautiful. It was really pretty. Um, I sewed like two parts of it. <laughs> Our dance seamstress so so the rest, but yeah, my my mom got rid of it. My dance teacher was like, "Absolutely not! You will own this for the rest of your life." <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh, thank you, thank you, Laura. What we wore is produced by Capital and Balto Creative Media. The original song, "Someone So Enchanting." was composed and performed by Britt Drazda. What We Wore is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com.